on ABC Radio, you are with Rod Quinn. It is time now, though, to cross to the United States. Celeste Katz is with us in Boston, one of the most beautiful cities in the United States, but sadly at the moment, of course, ravaged by coronavirus. Celeste, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. How bad are things in uh, Boston or in Massachusetts generally? Uh, we have uh, well over a thousand deaths now here in Massachusetts. Uh, I think uh, around thirty thousand cases total, and we are poised right now, actually, for the surge, for the the peak of whatever's going to happen here. So, uh, could be kind of a scary couple of weeks. So, with figures like that, why? Do people think that the peak might be just around the corner? Is there anything to actually suggest that that might be the case? I think what we're looking at in every state is people are looking at uh, sort of the explosion of cases in places like uh, New York, where I'm from originally, uh, New Orleans, uh, Detroit, certain areas uh, where this has already happened. And there is generally sort of uh, an unpleasant graph, a map of how it works. And so uh, we base our expectations on places that have already seen sort of explosive growth in the number of cases and unfortunately the number of deaths. So what you've found is what has happened in other places, Australia as well, is that nearly, well, not as to this extent in Australia, but it's half of all the deaths in Massachusetts have occurred at aged care facilities or where seniors are living. And, well, I mean, we know that disease can go through those places pretty quickly, but that's a particularly tragic part of it as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's been something that has really been striking in Massachusetts where, uh, you know, here we call them nursing homes or, or uh, you know, uh, assisted living facilities, that kind of thing. But yeah, that's where we have seen a really, really high toll uh, in one case, at least one case, that was a veteran's home where you have, you know, guys who yeah. are, are sort of in retirement after serving the country and then uh, something like this just absolutely burns through the place. And it's, it's very frightening. So the governor here is, you know, taking some steps to investigate why this is and also to to raise pay and to change the conditions for workers that they will want to, uh, they will want to show up to these nursing homes, to these uh, care facilities, because of one of the big problems was they didn't have enough staff to take care of people. And, uh, and that did not help uh, hold down the numbers on the coronavirus. So what do you make of this? That's something that's been noted in Australia as well, that generally people who work in those areas or cleaners and hospitals are not paid very well. Um, they're paid terribly, in fact. And this has really shown what's happened in the last couple of months, how much they are needed. And a whole lot of other people that are paid a hell of a lot of money, well, no one really cares if you're buying or selling shares or anything like that at the moment. Those people may or may not be still making their money, I don't know, but it's the teachers and it's the cleaners that we can't do without and they're the ones who are right down the bottom of the pay grade. What's going to happen once this is all over, do you think? You would like to think that the people whose importance and whose work came to light as sort of this part of invisible economy would get 
the attention that they deserve, would have the pay equity that they deserve after this is over. I'm not sure that happens. If you think about the people who are being applauded, uh, you know, typically in the United States, something like this happens. You think of, uh, and rightfully so, fire, police, EMT, right? Paramedics, people who are, are known as first responders, these frontline people. Um, they're the people that usually get all the applause, if not all the money, but all the applause. Oh, yes. um, now we're thinking about grocery store workers, people who drive Uber or Lyft, uh, people who uh, you know, are, are doing cleaning services, as you say, picking up trash, you know, dealing with hazardous materials. Are these people suddenly going to become celebrities? Are they suddenly going to... Uh, you know, get a substantial increase in their pay long term, even if they get a, a you know a hazardous pay bonus now. Uh, somehow, I think complacency is a really hard thing to fight, and I think that people will get wrapped up in clapping out their windows at seven o'clock every night, and that's a good thing. But uh, where will we be this time next year? I'm not sure that we'll we'll see the economy being much different, and the economy is going to be in bad shape for a while. You know, giving them a round of applause at 7 o'clock every night or something like that. I mean, it's a lovely thing, it's a beautiful gesture, but it doesn't put food on the table, does it? And these are people also who are not only at the front line in saving other people's lives and pre- preventing the, the virus spreading, but also putting themselves in danger because they might be confronting the virus. Yeah, if you think people are trying to be more respectful, I hope they are, I mean... Uh, just walking into a grocery store here the other day with my husband and you know, seeing how empty the place was and everyone's we all wearing masks and gloves and covering our eyes and just it was you know it was disturbing but there were people there I found it stressful to be in the store for less than an hour maybe half an hour maybe not even that long these are people who are staying there for eight or ten hours mm-hmm. a day being exposed to God knows what. Uh, that's that's a brave thing to do. There's just no other word for that. Even if they have to do it because they need the money, it's still brave. So I'm wondering whether you've experienced the same things that many people in Australia have, and that is that there are now glass or plastic protective shields around the checkout uh, or the cashiers or the checkout chicks, as some people might call them, uh, the cashiers at supermarkets and stores and maybe marks on the ground, X's or lines that tell you where you can and can't stand. Is that something that's coming there as well? Yeah, we've had a lot of those measures. Not every place has, has the sort of plexiglass shield, but workers are wearing masks and gloves. We do have signs on the floor telling people to stand six feet apart. That's not always possible, uh, considering you know, that a lot of stores just aren't set up for that kind of spacing between people. Yeah. Um, they have, um, in the supermarket, they have one-way aisles now yes. that so you're not supposed to be bumping into people and so on. But that stuff's all good. Um, the, you know, the question that all of us have is, even if this ends in the next few weeks, and I just mean the stay-at-home orders, is that is life really going to go back to normal? And I think just a lot of people don't believe it will. And people are not sure it ever will. Um, I think that's probably a little extreme, but... Uh, okay, I let me ask about that. No, I want to people a like, real peace of mind. Yeah. So Australia is doing much, much better than the US at the moment. 
maybe your curve is starting to go down a little bit. Maybe Australia's, I think, hopefully is. And yet we've been told yesterday, well, look, we're all going to still be asked to stay at home for at least another month. So in the US, I can't believe that you think or that people think, not you, but others think that, you know, people are going to be able to go out and maybe resume their normal lives in a few weeks time. I can't imagine that that's going to happen. You've still got thousands of people with this disease. Well, we still have we still have public officials in this in this country that are not willing to put in place stay at home orders. I mean, we've had, for example, we've had an outbreak uh, in the Northwest uh, in a state where the governor, a relatively new governor, did not want to put a stay at home uh, order in effect for the entire state, and said it's has to be up you know up to people individually to decide how they want to live. Um, and what you end up with is a serious gigantic outbreak at a major meat processing plant, which could affect the entire food supply mm. in the United States. This is a place that turns out something like 18 million uh, you know, pieces of processed food a day. Um, and that's what happens. Again, we have this real patchwork. Uh, my family lives in a state, Florida, where uh, for a long time, the governor was resisting these kinds of calls to urge people to just stay at home to control the spread of the virus. And that is still going on. A lot of states have really cracked down, and that's great. Um, I live in one of them. I'm from one of them. But um, it's it's amazing. I think the, the big problem here is that you have, you know, with a lot of things, it's good to have states determining how they want to how they want to function. And it's good for people to have individual liberty. It really is. I believe that. But um, when you have people who are taking precautions, living right next to people who are not, that's where you run into trouble. So let me ask about that, because I think it was the uh, governor of South Dakota was saying, look, I'm not going to tell people to stay at home because basically in America, government doesn't tell people what to do. Now, this has been the ongoing theme really since the Revolutionary War, um, that, you know, government shouldn't be involved with people's lives. But at this point, surely it should be. And it's reckless for a governor to say, you know, I'm not going to ask you to stay at home. But it, it also comes back to this thing, this this thing that Americans have about freedom to tell the federal government or the state government or the local government that, they want they don't want to be part of this. Like I find it amazing, and it's really coming back in some ways to bite some parts of America that this sort of pretense or this is trumpeting of freedom that's been, you know that we often hear about, but in fact it doesn't always work in your favour, does it? Well, it doesn't. I mean, there are even people in this country who are you know, so-called libertarians, I guess you could say, who really, really believe in extremely limited government, don't believe that there should be no government. And mainly, I think they think the point of government is to protect your liberties to the extent that you can exercise them without hurting other people, right? Like, that's the point of the Constitution. That's the point of, uh, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Your pursuit of happiness does not extend to the point at which it is harming other people. And I think that when we're talking about stay-at-home orders or other measures to control an outbreak of a deadly virus, I, you know, I think that's the territory we're in right now. So I yeah. think that 
people who are thinkers on this, people who are, are sort of philosophers or people who are, are genuinely, genuinely committed to this idea of limited government are also people who would understand that government has a role within those limits. And this, if, if, there, was any, if there was ever a time to exercise uh, those powers, yes. I think it would be now. Now's the time. So are you generally confident in the ability of the governor of Massachusetts and the mayor of Boston to do the right thing in this regard? Just in regards to, I suppose, the the way that they're handling this outbreak. You know, so far, I have to say that the way they have been enacting the rules has been reasonable. Um, you know, there is, for example, there is a stay-at-home order in place. Uh, there is even a curfew in Massachusetts. You're supposed to be off the street from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. Now, that's not in forced by fines or anything, but I'm, I'm okay with that message being put out there. Um, when I look at Massachusetts versus my home state of New York and, you know, New York City, where I was living until uh, just a few months ago, uh, Boston is doing relatively well. But again, I can't, um, you know, yeah. it's not an apples to apples comparison. Boston has many, many fewer people. Uh, people live further apart. It does not have the density of of New York City. But I would say that, uh, given you know, given the situation compared to other places, I think Massachusetts generally has acted uh, reasonably well. That situation that we talked about earlier with the nursing homes is really unfortunate and really really scary, and that's something that that they're going to have to get under control. But. Um, I think going into the surge, I don't feel like the state of Massachusetts or the city of Boston is in total disarray. I don't feel like it's hopeless. I don't feel like there's no, you know, I feel like we will get through this. Okay. Celeste Katz is our guest in Boston. So the governor, Charlie Baker, is the uh, governor of Massachusetts. He's a Republican. He said his state placed an order for millions of the respirator masks, but never got them. What happened to them? Yeah, there's there's a big problem in the United States right now that uh, Andrew Cuomo was talking about, I think, weeks ago, and other governors certainly have been talking about it, including Charlie Baker here in Massachusetts. And the problem is everyone's bidding against each other. Everyone's trying to uh, pay, you know, if everyone's paying a premium for yeah. masks, gloves, uh, all this kind of stuff. And uh, the governors of every state and, you know, some big cities are fighting over it and outbidding each other. So Baker tried to get a delivery of masks in for, I believe, from China, and uh, they just never showed up. They were impounded in New York by the Port Authority. And so some of the governors are questioning whether FEMA, which is the you know Federal Emergen- Emergency Management uh, Association here, in uh, agency, excuse me, yeah. in uh, the United States, is just taking people's stuff. Because there's been a big fight about federal stockpile versus state stockpile. So the government, the Massachusetts paid for it. They were impounded, never turned up. Three million. Three million, that's a hell of a lot. Um, uh, And these were the masks, I think. Um, And so that's it. They just, someone else has got them. The federal government's got them or FEMA has got them and is using themselves or distributing them elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, that's what's happened then. There's supposedly there's some argument that the federal government is, in fact, not seizing all this stuff, 
but um, I think that it's unfortunately we're in a situation now where we are literally pitted against um, the governments of our, our friends, our families, yeah. our neighbors, um, fighting over protective equipment. And um, the federal government is sort of staging this intervention, uh, whereas the governors now, I find, um, are having to go to other methods. As in the case of in the case of Massachusetts, uh, Baker was able to to get some deliveries here by using the plane the plane that belongs to the New England Patriots. Unbelievable. <laughs> you know, um, and Massachusetts has sent um, has sent the Patriots uh, like an eighteen wheeler, I think, uh, mm. to New York to to provide some. Well, I suppose uh, the Patriots aren't supply. using it, are they? They're not using their plane. Uh, yeah, or well, their you know what? I think the Patriots. I think uh, were just nice enough to lend out their plane, For God uh, so that the Baker could go around, basically you know, go around the uh, the obstacles here to get supplies for for this state. Okay, now uh, you've also got the mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh. Um, this is what he had to say. It's an interesting thing about who has been contracting the disease and how he wants to track this. All across the country, the coronavirus is shining a light on long-standing health inequities. In Boston, we're putting equity at the core of our response. We're making sure the hardest-hit communities have access to the information, testing, and the care that they need. Data is crucial to this work. Starting today, we'll post race and ethnicity data for deaths, as well as overall cases confirmed. It's important for us to get these numbers so we can make sure that we're getting messaging out to the different communities. So he is being honest about it. Um, African Americans are suffering far more than whites in America because of this virus, and he wants to uh, make sure that those who need it get the uh, the help they need. They, yeah, to save their lives. Yeah, that's been a really that's been a really growing issue here in the United States. The idea that the virus. The virus doesn't discriminate, but it's also not affecting uh, different racial and ethnic groups the same way. And that has to do, uh, in some cases, with what you might call comorbidity. There are certain risk factors in certain communities that are higher, like people who uh, smoke or don't have a healthy diet or something like that. Um, also, there are places where healthcare communities where healthcare is scarce, uh, where people don't have insurance. Um, to the yeah. same degree or to the same, you know, uh, to, of the same quality that other people have. And so this is, again, this is really laying bare uh, you know, a lot of inequalities that already existed in the United States. Finally this morning, though, uh, Mayor Marty Walsh has asked people to stay at home on Wednesday. Well, they're asking people to stay home every day, I suppose. But Wednesday is, I think, a public holiday. Um, this marks the seventh anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombings, which took place on Patriots Day. Uh, what's going to happen now? Or what has happened in the past? I know you haven't been there in Boston uh, for these other days, but what's going to happen this year? I think that people are, people are using examples like this. Like the Boston Marathon bombing was a, a national tragedy. It was really, really a horrifying event. And... Um, I think people have tried to take painful days like that and turn them into like volunteer service opportunities. So it's not so much about being a day of mourning as being a day of helping. And so I think for Boston, that was really hard this year to say we can't even 
we can't even come together to commemorate this painful thing that happened to us in a very positive way because we're locked in our homes, essentially. So there, there were some, uh, you know, there have been some demonstrations of, of sort of um, appreciation, again, for people who are working in hospitals, people who are, are out there doing the jobs that enable us to stay at home safely. But it really hasn't been the same. And I think that you'll see more of that. I mean, even just walking down the street is, is sort of uh, stressful now. So um, I think that people are really going to have to rethink uh, their way of life. And they're really, they're really, <laughs> they have some time to do that now, I guess. And um, hmm. I'm one of those people. <laughs> how it, yeah, how it, because Boston, obviously, it's a hugely important um, city in America for the, the uh, you know tertiary education for universities and institutes of technology. I mean, there are so many there in the, the Boston area, but also it's a huge tourism city. So, who's been thinking about how that's going to be handled, or are they just yeah, trying to get through this? Um, Boston University, which is one of the biggest schools here, um, is there's a possibility that Boston University will not resume. Uh, in-person education until January 2021, mm. which is sort of mind-blowing. Uh, just I mean, aside from the obvious intrinsic value of education, the value to the economy here. Yes. I mean, you have tens of thousands of kids uh, spending money in restaurants, working at businesses. They're a big part of the workforce here in Boston. Uh, to take. Uh, college kids out of the picture in Boston just completely throws off the entire equation. And um, the idea of kids not coming back for um, six months to a year is really going to be damaging to the economy here. And um, I'm just not sure there's anything to replace something that's that important a part of the life of the city. True enough. When you get back to Cambridge, though, go to the Hong Kong Chinese restaurant and order the wontons. I strongly recommend them uh, when it reopens. I cannot wait. I have been really, really thinking about how much, how much I miss how much I miss Chinese specifically, oh. and uh, I am very much looking forward to to getting out and about. So I'll do that. Order a big plate of wontons. They're fantastic. Uh, Celeste, thank you very much for that. We will talk to you again uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Okay, stay well. Thank you. You too, indeed, uh, Celeste Katz in Boston. On ABC Radio, we'll talk a little bit more about this, of course, after the news.